If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to the Old Testament, and we're going to start working our way from the Old Testament. We're going to start out of De- Deuteronomy, then Genesis, and then we're going to end up in Hebrews chapter 7. So we're going to go through, through, through the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, and we're going to look at this issue of giving and what, what does the Bible actually say about giving. And so I've titled this message, Read the Bottom Line. We've been talking about the, the need, we've been talking about the desire to be able to clearly see, to be able to clearly see God, to be able to clearly see the future, our priorities. And if you've ever gone to the eye doctor, you know that when you take an eye test, that if you can read the bottom line, that means you have clear vision. And so I've titled this message, Being Able to Have Clear Vision, Being Able to Understand What Does the Bible Say About This Issue of Giving. Now, there's a lot of reasons I believe that people don't give, and some of the reasons is is they've just never been informed. They've never been taught this principle. This is a principle that was taught to me early in my Christian life, fortunately, and over the last 30 years, I mean, this is something that Karen and I um, has just been a part of our marriage, has been a part of our life, and God has done some unbelievable things in the area of finances in my life. And so I just want you to understand these principles. So so here's here's Deuteronomy chapter 8, 18. It says this, he said, So you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he, for it is God, who gives you power to get wealth. In other words, he gives you the ability to make an income. He gives you the ability to make wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as as it is this day. Now listen, this is a principle that Karen and I have built into our marriage. Uh, We're walking through the same process you're walking through right now. Uh, we're having conversations. We're praying about our level of commitment. What does Cash Gift Sunday look like? What does our three-year commitment look like? And so we're walking through the same process as you are. Now, there's a lot of people that whenever the church begins to talk about money, that, and maybe you've heard this, but one of the biggest slams is this, is that, that the, the church only wants your money. You ever heard that? To where the church only wants your money. Listen, last time I talked about money here was like three to four years ago. But anyway, when someone makes that statement and says, you know what, the church only wants your money, it really reveals more about their heart than it does about the church they're talking about. Because what the Bible tells us about this issue of giving, it it starts, it's an issue of the heart. And so I want to give you just three things quickly this morning about this issue of giving or, or what is reflected in our giving. The first thing is this, our giving is to be from the heart. Our giving is to be from the heart. In other words, what the Bible teaches this is giving it, Giving is just a heart issue. That's why in the church or that's why in marriage, whenever you talk about finances, it can get emotional, right? Because it's an issue of the heart. I mean, in marriage, they tell us one of the top five reasons, in fact, is the top reason for divorce in America is over this issue of finances because money is tied to your heart. And, 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 and giving is to be from the heart. And so it's not about the church wanting your money. It's about God wanting your heart. In other words, God, God is. I'll just tell you, God is after your money because your heart is connected to your money. Your heart is connected to your treasure. Listen, I'm not the one that said that. Jesus is the one that said that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus said this, for, for where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. You know that, right? You buy that. You buy a car. You buy a boat. You buy a four-wheeler. You buy a truck. 
You buy a new set of golf clubs. Uh, you buy a stock for the very first time. What are you doing? You're checking on that stock like every morning. Is it going up? Is it going down? Why? Because your heart is connected. Your heart is connected to your money. And the Bible would say over and over that guess what? Man, giving is really an issue of the heart. It reflects something about you. Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 7 says, If you... Am- If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you. So watch this. You shall not harden your heart. Why? Because giving is an issue of the heart. Or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest you lest there be an unworthy thought, again, in your heart, because giving is a hard issue. And you say the seventh year, the year of release, is near. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. In other words, God wants you to be generous. See, we may not understand this, the year of release, but in the Old Testament, every seven years, they forgave all debts, they forgave all, all loans. I really think we ought to go back to that system, don't you? Wouldn't that be a cool deal? At the end of seven years, all debts were paid. And so what they're saying is, is that in year six, if someone comes to you and says, you know what, I'm in need, could you like make me a loan? And you know it's year six, and you know in a year you're going to forgive that debt, and you're not going to get paid back. What he's saying is, don't look at that. Learn to give. It's an issue of the heart. Deuteronomy 15.10. He goes on, you shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. I'm telling you, if you ever find yourself tempted to give, give in to it. That's what he's saying. It's an issue of your heart. Because the Lord your God will, here's a promise, will bless you. And all, in my Bible, that that word all is like circled all your work and in that you undertake in other words there's tangible and intangible blessings of god and what he's saying is this if you'll learn to give with the right heart god will bless you in everything that you do listen we don't give to get we don't give to get a blessing even a lost person would give under those circumstances right even a lost person would give a thousand dollars if they know they're going to get a thousand dollars back So we don't give to get what he's talking about is giving with the right heart. And so we don't give to get a blessing. You know what we you know why we give? We give to give. We give to give and we give with the right heart. We give because God has done something in our heart and we give because we have a generous heart. In other words, we don't play let's make let's make a deal with God. The the Bible is clear when we give with the right motives and we give with the right uh, attitudes and we give with the right heart that there are the tangible and the intangible blessings of God that many times we can't even understand. Have you ever thought, why did God create giving? A lot of people, when I ask that question, say, why did God create giving? And they'll say things like, well, to fund, fund the work of God, to fund the church. Can I just tell you this, what the Bible says? The Bible says this, is if every need was met, we would still give. And we would still need to give. Listen, God didn't create giving for his sake. God created giving for our sake. God created giving for your sake. Because giving, listen, giving is the only thing that works selfishness and greed out of your life. 
It's the only thing. That's why things get weird when you talk about money because of the issue of greed and selfishness and all of those other things work against you. When you and I, listen, when you and I fall in love with God, you cannot help but give. Listen, you can, you can give without loving. It is possible to give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. It's impossible. This last, this last week, Karen and I celebrated uh, our 32nd wedding anniversary with, yeah, with, with, with 60 of our closest friends at a vision dessert. So I, you know what? I got off cheap. I said, hey, baby, I'll give you dessert tonight. <laughs> and so, so after 32 years of marriage, if I never shared my money with her, if I never gave her anything, if I never gave her a gift, if I never gave her one dime, do you think she would question my love for her? Of course she would. Of course she would. Listen, you can, you can give without loving, but it is impossible to truly love without giving. And when you give your life to Christ, our treasure should follow. Deuteronomy 15, 14 says this, You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. And the Lord your God has, as the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. And that brings us to the second principle about our giving. Our giving should be from our resources. Our giving should be from our resources. We should give out of what we have and not out of what we don't have. And so our giving should be from our resources. And so when you start looking at this issue of giving, you start looking at this issue and you realize that in the Bible, the Bible talks about percentage giving. The, the Bible begins to talk about giving proportionately uh, to your income because it's percentage giving is fair to everyone. In other words, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is emphasis on percentage giving or uh, proportion giving. And so Leviticus 27.30 says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy and it is to the Lord. In other words, what he begins teaching us this is the tithe, the 10%, it, God has set it apart. It is holy. Deuteronomy tells us that it, it, it is sacred and it's set apart from him. In other words, can I just tell you this? When you're not really giving. You're returning to the Lord what is already his. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, uh, we see the story of Cain and Abel. We see the first time that tithing is, is reflected in Scripture. Now, there's a lot of people, one of the number one reasons that I believe that Christians don't give is because Christians will say, you know what, that's an Old Testament thing, that's not a New Testament thing. That was under the law. We're no longer under the law. So that was, that was Old Testament. We're New Testament. And as a result of that, we no longer have to give. And I would tell you, you can look at Scripture and you can realize it was before the law, it was dur during the law, and it is after the law. In fact, is Genesis chapter 4, this is 2,500 years before the law. In other words, it's just natural. It's just, it's just built into us. And so in, in Genesis chapter three, 4, verse 3, here's what the Scripture says. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Not the first. We're going to understand the principle of the first. We're going to understand the principle of the first fruit. And so in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought, but his offering was different. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and, the fat, and their fat portion. 
And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering because it was the first. But for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. God didn't receive it, if you will. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now I've been asked, what does tithing mean? Tithing is simply a tenth. Every, every $10 you make, you return $1 to God. And so I have in my pocket, just as an illustration, I'm not, I'm not giving out money uh, this afternoon, but I have in my pocket, I have, I have 10 $1 bills. And tithing is just simply this. When you get 10, you return one to him. And so the question would be, which one? Which one? That's what this story illustrates. And I would tell you this, the first one. It's the principle of the first, the first one. There's a lot of people that they pay MasterCard and Visa and American Express and everything else first. But the problem with that is Visa does not have the power to bless your finances. Only God has the power to bless your finances. And that's why the tithe, that's why returning to him is to return the first portion. It's the principle of the first. And this is the the story of Cain and Abel, to where you say in your finances that I want God to be first in my life. I want God to be a priority in my life. Abel gave of the first, and you see in Scripture that God blessed it. Cain, on the other hand, Cain gave his leftovers. He gave whatever was left over. I mean, would you give your leftovers to anyone else? I mean, if someone special is coming over to your house, you invite a family over for dinner, and when they arrive, do you say, do you just all of a sudden open up the refrigerator and start going through the Tupperware and start trying to find all your leftovers and say, oh, good news, we had leftover, we had pizza last week, we got some leftover pizza, we got some leftover lasagna, I just found a leftover hamburger we didn't even know was in there. Here, you can have that. Would anybody do that with a guest? Like just serve them your leftovers? Why would we do it with God? Why would we do that with God who has given nothing but his best for us? Why would we walk through life and say, God, I'm going to pay everybody else, MasterCard and Visa and the house note and everything else, hobbies and recreation, and then, and then God, whatever's left over, if anything's left over, that's what I'll give you. A lot of people, when you get to talking about finances, you talk, begin talking about finances, they say, well, wait a minute, you don't understand. God understands my situation. Yes, God understands your situation, and I get that. But God wants to be involved in your finances. God wants to be able to bless your finances. Deuteronomy 26.1 says this. It says, says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and you take possession of it, and you live in it, you shall take some of, here we go, the first. You can take any Bible software, just type in the word first. And you begin looking at this principle of the first. And all of the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God has given you. And you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose. He's talking about the church. To make his name dwell there. And so he's referring to the storehouse. He's referring to the local church. Now listen, one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, this issue of giving, this issue of tithing, is found in Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God starts talking about this principle. And he, he says this. He says, 
Verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. That is very, very important. God says, I do not change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I'm the same. And he says, therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Verse 7, for the days of your fathers, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. It just means the ordinary principles, the ordinary uh, practices. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And please remember, God is talking to this group of people in Malachi's days. He's talking through Malachi, and they're, they're beginning to leave their leftovers or give their leftovers to God. And he's saying, I'm the one who does not change. You've walked away from my ordinary practices, my ordinary principles. In verse 80, he goes on, and he says, Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have in contributions? The contributions are what we're talking about with the Faith to Move the Rockies campaign. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you bring the full tithe, not the leftovers. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, the church. There may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test. This is the only place in Scripture that God says, just test me in this. If you don't believe me, just test me in this. And then he says, he says, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, and I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, what he's saying is this issue of the tithing, giving, returning is an ordinary principle for, for God's children to return a portion, to say thank you for my income, to say thank you for meeting my needs, to worship him for his children. I mean, who do, who do you thank for your income? Do you think MasterCard? Do you think Visa? Who do you think for your income? And he, he makes an interesting statement because they had quit this practice. He, said, he says you are, you're under a curse. What does that mean? And there's some people say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. As New Testament believers, we're no longer under a curse because Christ bore our curse. Christ went to the cross. And so we're no longer under a curse. And you're exactly right. That's in regards to salvation. But are you saying that now, as a New Testament believer, that you and I can live however we want and there's no consequences? Because now what we're talking about, we're talking about consequences. Are you saying that because stealing under the law, that if we steal and because we're New Testament believers and we're under grace, are you saying that we can steal and there's no longer any consequences? You know, what he's saying is, what he's saying is there are consequences because this is an ordinary principle of God. And the number one reason that I believe that Christians do not tithe is because some just believe, you know what, that's Old Testament. And it's not New Testament. And as a result of that, we're not under, under that. And I would, I would tell you this, that whenever we have those discussions... I always wonder, what is the spirit behind that? Why would anybody argue about returning to God a portion of your income after all he's done for you? 
Why would we, why would we argue about that? And God tells us that there are the tangible and intangible blessings of God if you will just trust me. But it depends on who you're going to thank. Are you going to trust him? Are you going to worship him? Do you really believe that God can do more on 90% when it is blessed than 100% when it's not blessed? I mean, when you just look at this argument that it was just under the law and we're no longer bound by that. It's like we no longer think there's any consequences. Under the law, it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. So do we take that argument? And do we say, because we're New Testament believers, because we're under the blood of Christ, because we've been forgiven, are we now saying that that was a part of the law? And since we're New Testament believers, there are now no consequences of improper relationships. There are now no consequences of adultery, because guess what? That was, that was like under the law. Thou shalt not lie was under the law. So are we saying because we're New Testament believers, we're under the blood of Christ, we're forgiven, that we can lie and there's no consequences? I mean, I don't know if you know this, but in the New Testament, Jesus Christ endorsed this tithing thing. And it's in red letters. And he said it. Here's what he said in Matthew 23, 23. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He said, you know what? You should do both. I mean, he should do both. I mean, it's in red letters, and Jesus said this. fact is, Jesus said this is the first step of getting your life in line with me. Jesus made the most awesome statement in, in, on a lot of levels in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. And he, here's what he said. He said, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then here's the statement. You cannot serve God in, in money. According to Jesus, this is where it starts. Because Jesus would say, his number one competitor for you is your money. He didn't say you cannot serve Satan in me, serve sin in me. He said, you cannot serve God in money because money reflects where your treasure is. And that's a competitor of mine. The third and the last thing about your giving is this is our giving is to, is to be to the Lord. Our giving is to be to the Lord. So many Christians understand this, and we're working into Hebrews chapter 7. And when I came to faith in Christ, I, I wasn't raised in church. Uh, my childhood, we weren't raised in church. Uh, we went to church four or five times. And, I mean, if, if, if we threw a 10 in the basket, that was like woo-hoo. That was a big giving week. And so we, we, just, we, just, we just never did anything like that. And so in my 20s, I came to faith in Christ, and then someone walked through these principles with me. And for me, it was Hebrews chapter 7 that helped me understand this issue of giving. And our giving, just so we're clear, is to the Lord. You are not giving to Fellowship the Rockies. You are not giving to a ministry. What the Bible says is the ministry of the church is a conduit. But you are not giving to the church. You're giving to the Lord. 
in Hebrews talks about Jesus and Melchizedek and how, how mortal men would receive, receive the tithes and offerings. But, but, but Hebrews chapter 7 goes deeper into that. And Hebrews chapter 7 says that Jesus is our, our Melchizedek. Jesus is our high priest. And remember, we looked at this last week. It ties to Genesis chapter 14, uh, 450 years before the law about this issue of tithing. Hebrews chapter 7, New Testament. Here's what the verse says in verse 8. And in, case tithe, in, in, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. This is just so important. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives the tithes, paid the tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. And then just for time, we're going to jump down to verse 10. And watch what verse 10 says. Or verse 17. And verse 17 says this. For it is witnessed of him who is him. You can put in parentheses in your Bible, Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. For it was witnessed of him. You are a priest forever, speaking of Jesus, after the order of Melchizedek. So here's what he's saying. Here's what this verse is saying. This is New Testament theology. This is in the New Testament. He says, he says you put your tithe, you put your tithe in, a, in, a, in an offering basket when it goes by. You put your tithe in an offering box on the back wall. You give your tithe online through the website. However you give your tithe, mortal men administrate it. Mortal men manage it. Mortal men take care of it. But in heaven, it is seen and witnessed by our high priest, Jesus Christ. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, in heaven, we're giving to him. We're not giving to a church. The church is a conduit. And it is witnessed and received by him. For me, that was my verse. That was the verse for me that made me want to tithe. Because Hebrews 7 links the tithe directly to Christ himself. All of the middlemen are removed. In the Old Testament, the tithe was brought, into the, was brought to the priest. The priest would take it to the storehouse. And, and, but the final reference in Scripture, Hebrews chapter 7, about the tithe, links the tithe directly to Christ. Second Chronicles chapter 31 Hezekiah was a king, and they were going through a really rough time economically. Hezekiah is life journaling. And he comes across a verse about tithing. He realizes we as a people group are no longer tithing. And he says this in verse 4. And Hezekiah commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priest and the Levites, that they may give themselves to the law of the Lord. And as soon as, he, as, soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits. There you see the principle of the first of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all of the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the people of Israel in Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of cattle and sheep and the tithe of the dedicated things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God and laid them, so important, laid them in heaps in the third month, they began to pile up the heaps and finish them in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and the prince came in and saw the heaps, the, what they had tithed, what they had given, they blessed the Lord and the people of Israel. And Hezekiah was questioned, 
questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. You know what Hezekiah was worried about? If they've been able to give this money, much, if they've been able to give this much in these heaps, how are they even making it? What do they even have to li live on? Hezekiah was concerned about the people. In verse 10, their answer, And Azariah the chief priest, who was of the house of Zadok, answered him, Since they began to bring in the contributions into the house of the Lord, we have eaten and had enough and had plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people so that we have this large amount left. In other words, when Hezekiah got nervous, and said, what are the people living on if they could give this much? They said, oh, Hezekiah, if you could see the 90% that they have and how they've been blessed, you would not even ask that question. As a pastor, there's two uh, consistent testimonies I've heard about tithing. Uh, from the tithers, they says, we could, we're so blessed. We could not help but give. The non-tithers, we can't afford to give. You'll never be able to afford to give. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you start to tithe. Until you understand that you can live better on the 90% when it's blessed than the 100% when it's not blessed. I learned this issue of tithing, and you can't outgive God at a church where I met Christ in Houston, Texas. And we went through a, a difficult period, and the church was growing. And, and so our pastor, Dr. John Bazzano, led the church to double tithe, everybody to give 20%. And is a large church, 3,700 3, families gave 20% for three years. Two years after the campaign ended, their income, our income, did not go down. And Dr. Bazzano was, was confused by that. So he asked the administrator to find out why. The administrator did some surveys of those 3,700 people, and the answer came back that 80% of the 3,700 people after the campaign ended, continued to give 20%. And they asked him a question, why? And everyone came back. The overwhelming answer was, we are so blessed. We cannot stop giving because we're so blessed. I'm telling you, it's the principle of the first. And I just want to take a moment because I know for some of you, that this is going to be the very first time that you've led your family through family devotionals. This is, this is more than just about a new facility. This is what God is going to do in the hearts and families, in the lives of families. As heads of households begin leading and guiding their family through a 14-day devotional. And for some of you, this may be the very first time that you've ever led your family through any devotionals. And so whether you're a head of a household and, and you're a dad, um, you're, you're a mom, you're a single mom, you're a single dad, uh, you're a granddad, you're a grandmother, uh, you're a single parent, whatever. If you're the head of your household, then I'm just going to ask you to do this. I, I just want to pray for you. And so I'm just going to invite you. Would you just stand right where you are if, you, if you're considered a head of household of your home? Wherever you are, would you just stand? And just let me tell you, I'm, I'm just so proud of you. I mean, this, this weekend, we've, we've just been packed with a number of people that have taken part of these services. And so I know for some of you, this may be the first time that you've ever had spiritual conversations with your family, that you've ever guided them through a devotional. And we've made it just so easy. You just It's just a couple of pages. 
and around the dinner table, around a specific time before bedtime, that you would involve your whole family. I cannot tell you again how many emails I've received from, from, from family members said, we, we're just so excited about this. We've just never done this before. And it's our prayer that God would do something spiritual in your family when his word is talked about and discussed in your home. So I just, I just want to pray for you as you start this tonight uh, with your family. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for these that are standing. Father, I thank you for their just commitment to you. And Father, we thank you that really and truly giving is just a, a matter of the heart. It's just an issue of the heart. And so, Father, we just thank you for what you're going to do in the lives of these individuals and what you're going to do in their families as we just begin looking at your word and just trusting you to the future. And, Father, may we, may we just obediently follow you. And, Father, may you do something in this body and in these families that marks them, that starts a, starts a way of living in their life till they, they journal together and they pray together, and they talk together. Father, we look forward to see what you're going to do, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.